0: All right, take your Bibles and find your way to Philippians chapter 1. I will do the same. First chapter, we're actually going to finish Philippians 1 today. Um, I feel like I need to tell you chapter 2, the break, could not be in a worse place. Uh, the first four verses of, of chapter 2 really belong in chapter 1. Now, it doesn't. you understand those chapters and verses weren't there originally. Um, when Paul wrote Philippians, it was a letter like you would write, or an email, a long email. Um, there were no chapters, there were no verses, it was just a, a letter, a full letter. And the same thing with all the scriptures. We talked about that in our D group today as we're, we're discussing getting the Bible into our lives. Um, one of the guys brought up, and this is interesting to me because I don't know that I've pondered this before, but when Jesus, as a boy engaged the scriptures there were no chapters and verses that's why in different places as we see him in his ministry he said as isaiah said he didn't give a verse and a chapter because there was no verse and chapter so anyway it's in a bad place Uh, so with that being said um, i had looked at it and thought about adding those four more verses but i knew myself better i said "I i will do better and do more justice to the text by taking the first section and then finishing with the second section next week. I call this section from 27 to 30 and then from chapter 2, 1 through 4, I call this the John Wayne section of Paul's letter because it is at the same time both tough and tender. And that's what John Wayne was known for, at least in his movies. He always played the tough guy but underneath that hard outer shell was the heart of a tender man and somewhere in that movie that generally came out so what we're going to see today in 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 this section is the tough part and then next week we're going to come back and see the tender part and is it not true that the gospel makes us both tough and tender doesn't it um we 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 take a firm stance on truth we take a firm stance against sin and all its forms in our own lives, right? It's tough. It's a hard line. But there's a tenderness that comes underneath that, isn't there? Because we have this walk with a living God, with, with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who would not even damage a bruised reed or a smoking flax. So we have this tenderness That comes underneath this toughness. So today, I want to talk to you about living worthy of the gospel. Living worthy of the gospel. Now that, even by that title, um, you can can go astray. Because this is not a sermon to beat us up. Listen, because I want you to hear this. This is a sermon to lift us up. Amen. Would you rather be beat up or lifted up? Yeah, we need to be lifted up today, and that's the intention of this text. So with that in mind, we're going to back up a little bit um, to catch a little bit of context, and we're going to back up to verse 19, if you will, if you're in your scriptures. Wow, I forgot to put a uh, different background up there, but that one's going to keep us cool. (laughs) That'll work. All right, here's what Paul says, beginning in verse 19. Remember, he's reporting to them of his condition, what he's going through. And he says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We spent two Sundays taking that text apart. Um, I'm sorry, that's verse 21, yeah. But, verse 22, if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. verse 23. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. That your rejoicing for me may uh be more abundant in Jesus Christ at my coming to you again. So Paul says, I believe I'm going to get out, and I'm going to come to you, and we're going to rejoice together and have a greater opportunity to exalt Christ. So this is Paul's confidence. Now, in verse 27, he really shifts. In verse 27, he is literally shifting. He says, okay, I told you about me. I told you what's going on. But now let me shift this. Let me talk about you. Here's here's what was going on in my life. I've given that report. Now let me tell you what's on my heart concerning you. This is his purpose statement, if you will, for the rest of his letter. This is where he's going. And I don't know if you realize this about the great apostle, Paul. He was nothing if not tremendously logical. Even in writing a personal letter, of course, we understand this is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but God still used Paul's personality and his intellect And he's always very logical. He is as precise as a brain surgeon. And not only what he wrote, but how he organized his thoughts. And you won't appreciate that until you go and study an epistle like 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Where John is in his late 90s and he's all over the place. And he says three things, six different times in six different ways. (laughs) Right and, 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 and you realize, wow, Paul really is a logical writer. So th- this is really turning us, if you will, th- th- what he's about to say. He's giving us the reason for the rest of the letter. And he says, now let's talk about you. So keep that in mind. And it begins with the word only. Only let your conduct be worthy Of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, parenthesis there, I'm I, I stay in prison, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind. Notice that word one repeated, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So Paul says. No matter what happens to me, here's what I want you to do. Here's your part. I told you my part, now here's your part. I want to see that you're standing firm and striving together for the faith of the gospel. Verse 25, and being confident, uh, uh, not verse 25, verse um, 28, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you, of salvation and that from God verse 30 or verse 29 for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me so that is our text today so here's the question um What does that look like? So together, let's discover together this morning exactly what that looks like. You know, we use that acronym around here, um, YBH, which means what, church? Yeah, Yeah, but how? This one's not going to work as well, but I call it WDTLL, and it says, what does that look like? (laughs) What does it look like? And we talked about this in our group this morning as we were discipling each other to to be better followers of Christ. What does it look like for Dale Lanier to live worthy of the gospel of Christ, the good news of King Jesus? What's that look like? I don't know about you, isn't, isn't it helpful to have an example? Can you tell me what that looks like? Tell me how to do that? The yeah, but how only comes after the what does that look like? I need to see that. And Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to give it to us. And I know I've probably oversimplified it, but this is a personal correspondence. It's a letter. And I'd really just see three things that I didn't even have to come up with. They just fell off the page, and they're right in the text. And here's what it looks like. Living worthy of the gospel. Walking worthy of the gospel. Conducting myself in a manner worthy of the good news of my king, looks like, first of all, standing fast. Standing fast. We see that in verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind. All right, so let me break down this verse. I'm going to start with that first word, which I found is interesting, and it's the word only. Um, Remember what he's been talking about. In that little last section, what do he say? He said, hey, if I die, phenomenal for me. If I live, phenomenal for you. Uh, because I get to minister to you more and Christ gets more glorified. If I die, I get to be with Christ. That works for me too. I'd really rather go and be with Christ, but it's better for you if I stay to bring Christ more glory. Again, that's what we, we learned weeks ago under, under Brother Eric when he talked to us about a gospel-focused life, right? That, that Paul, when he says to live as Christ and die as gain, he really meant it. And so he's unpacked for them uh, what it looks like in his life um, to be centered specifically on the gospel. And he says, "You know, and I don't know which one I want to do. Some days I'd like to just die and be with Christ and other days I'd like to get out of here and minister to you so that we can make, a, make much of Jesus together one more time. And I'm, I'm perplexed. And then he says, only. See, this is where this makes sense. I like how the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates this one. He says, just one thing. Instead of only, he says, just one thing. It's lifted kind of like a warning finger. Only this last thing. Or in other words, whatever happens to me, see to it that you stand for him. Doesn't matter whether I die or get out, that has no bearing on what's coming next. Regardless of what happens to me, Philippians, people, people, saints at Philippi, here's what you need to do. Whatever happens, this one thing, stand fast. Stand fast. And he says in there, only let your conduct. Now that word conduct is interesting. Um... It's a Greek word, politeu, from which we get the word polis, which means city, or we get the word politic, or politics. Um, polis is the, is the root word for politics. Um, and it literally means, this, this Greek word, politeo, literally means to be a citizen or to live according to one's citizenship. So what's Paul saying here? He says, no matter what happens to me, whether I live or die has no bearing on this next part. Here's what you need to do. You need to conduct or to live your life as a citizen of the kingdom in such a way that your life is worthy of the good news of the king whose kingdom you are a part of. Does that make sense this morning? citizenship is the idea of this word here uh, conduct it's only used one other place in the scripture you might want to jot this down it's in acts chapter 23 and verse 1 where paul is standing before the council and the scripture says and looking intently at the council paul said brothers i have lived my citizenship before god the word there is life But I have lived my citizenship, same word, politeo, I have lived my citizenship before God in all good conscience up to this day. What is he saying? I have lived as a citizen of the kingdom of God and my conscience is clear. I have lived worthy of the gospel of King Jesus. Does that make sense this morning? So with that in mind, this word citizen would mean a lot to the Philippian people. Because if you remember way back to the introduction to this letter, what did I tell you? Uh, they had a word for it, the ius Italius, which means Roman citizenship. Italian, they were under Italian law. Roman citizenship was expensive. In our economy today, you're talking about tens of thousands of dollars to purchase your Roman citizenship and the rights that came with it. That's why you would spend the money. Philippi, however, there's a couple of very important battles that were fought there with two Roman generals fighting each other. And in order to encourage the colonization of Europe, and in this case, Eastern Europe, um, the Caesar at the time said, hey, if some of you military guys want to stay, we're going to colonize this city, Philippi. And we're going we're to pattern it after Rome. We're going to have the same culture. We're going to rebuild it to look like Rome. They even laid it out as a mini Rome. You guys are going to wear uh, Roman dress. You're even going to speak Latin here. So Philippi, the Philippians were proud of their citizenship because to be a citizen of Philippi meant to be a citizen of Rome. So Paul uses this word on purpose to remind them, yeah, I know you're proud of your citizenship in Philippi because it means you're a citizenship, you're a citizen of Rome. Here's the deal. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God, which is far more important. And just like you would do nothing to besmirch the name of Rome, as a citizen of Philippi, you too must also be worthy, live your life, live your citizenship out in such a way that you are worthy of the good news of King Jesus. That's what Paul's saying here. They lived in accordance with Roman customs, even though they were about 800 miles from Rome. And they were not under any regional authority, but they answered directly to Rome, governed by Roman laws. They were literally a Roman outpost. And these colonists lived differently than the barbarians surrounding them because they were citizens of a different country. Can you figure the application out here? You and I are citizens of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And we too are an outpost of heaven itself. And we are to live worthy. We are living, we are to live in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus, of King Jesus. So there's a YBH in here. How do we do that? So that's what it looks like. It looks like living differently, living according to the values, the customs, and the laws of your king. And in this case, it's not Caesar, it's Christ. Are you with me this morning? Live according, live, as a king, live as a citizen in good standing, worthy of the kingdom of Christ. But how do we do that? Well, there's two vital factors. I think this is in your outline and will be on the screen. The first one is we must be one in spirit. You do it with one spirit and with one mind. And we see that here in verse 27. That I may hear of your affairs... That you stand fast. How do I do that? In one spirit with one mind. Now, there's a lot of debate what does spirit mean. It's not capitalized. So people immediately think, well, it's not the Holy Spirit. That just means one spirit, the spirit of a man. The more I've looked into this and studied it, I can't say it definitively. And the commentators are split. So I'm going to give you Pastor Paul's opinion. And that's all it is. But I think I'm right. And you have the right to be wrong, so you don't have to agree with me. Uh, but I think it's the Holy Spirit. I really do. Because, look, how, how many of you can say here, are, are, are you, do you have any ability to pull off the, the Christ life without the Holy Spirit? None. None. Matter of fact, every time you mess up and sin, you've done that in violation of the Spirit, not in accordance with the Spirit. You with me? I think this is the Holy Spirit. We all have the one spirit. And because we have one spirit, if we're in one spirit, we can conduct our lives with one mind. Now that word mind is also interesting. Um, That word mind is not what you probably what you think it is. The synonyms for this word is soul or life. One souled, one minded. One life. Here's, here's the, the statement I came up with, is that unity of the Spirit births unity of life. Here's how, the only hope you have and I have of standing fast, which by the way was a military term. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Gladiator. Right? Uh, hard movie. What's that? As one, that's exactly right. They, they would li- their shields would interlock. And when, they, and, and when they were standing fast or when they were moving forward and gaining ground, the command to them was as one, we do this together because if we break shields, if there's an opening between us, the enemy gets in and we get killed. Are you with me? Stand fast. Fast, Hold your ground, even if it means dying to do it, because the guy on either side of you, his life is in your hands. Stand fast. Don't give that ground. And when you move forward, you move forward as one man. And all the nations surrounding Rome could not beat that strategy. And remember, he's writing to a bunch of retired Roman officers. Do you think they understood that word, stand fast? Uh, I think so. He's speaking their language, isn't he? He said, you hold your ground. You stand fast. You move as one. One spirit. One mind. And the unity of the spirit bursts the unity of life. We do this thing together. I like that acronym TEAM, T-E-A-M. Together, everyone achieves more. I like to say it this way. Together, everyone achieves more ministry. You know why we can't gain any ground in the church? We have no concept of as one. We're all out there doing our own thing, and we're fighting each other. But the Holy Spirit is our unifying power. And this same spirit leads to the same mind, soul, and life because we are on the same team. We're on the same team. Um, There's another historical story that movies have been made about, and it's the 300 Spartans that held off the entire Babylonian army, the hordes of Babylon, who were the most feared army in the world at the time, 300 men at Thermopolis held them off for three days. 300 against thousands. And it is in one of the movies, but it's also recorded historically, or, or it might have found its way into the legend, that when the leader of the Spartans met with the leader of the Babylonian hordes coming against him. The Babylonian general said, You're, you're so outnumbered. This isn't, this isn't even going to break a sweat. He said, We're going to send so many arrows your way, we are going to darken the sun. And he is reported to have said, Wonderful. Then we will fight you in the shade. And 300 men held off tens of thousands of Babylonian soldiers for three days. How did they do it? They did it as one. Man, And that was the history of it. it. Literally, it was said and written in the annals of history, they fought as one man. And, they, and, and even though the numbers were crazy, they were able to be successful for three days. So, so they would not miss Paul's nod here to the unity of standing fast. So here's the question. How are you doing on that one? How are we doing? First of all, do you have the Holy Spirit? He said, how do I get Him? Number one, you repent of your sin. Number two, you accept the gift of Jesus Christ as death, burial, resurrection, and ascension on your behalf. And you receive Him while you reject sin. By the way, you can't do one and not the other. as two sides of the same thing. You are, there is no receiving of Christ without a rejection of your sin. There is no eternal life without the spiritual death of who you used to be. You got to die before you live again. Amen? So, do you have that spirit? And if so, are you cooperating with the spirit's unifying effort with your fellow kingdom citizens? I wonder. And Paul's writing to these people that's my part. Here's how I'm doing. But no matter what happens to me, here's your part. Conduct your life in a manner worthy of, your, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Conduct your citizenship in such a way that you walk worthy of this good news. Because here's the truth, folks, and you know it intuitively. Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. It, what's that? I'm going to say that again for you. I need, that, I need to hear that again over there. Your talk talks, and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Yes, I had to practice that. (laughs) Isn't that true? Someone once said, um, your actions are speaking so loud I can't hear what you're saying. Are we walking worthy of the gospel? How much of your life, let's just take last week, no, let's just take yesterday. That's easier. I can't remember last week. I can remember yesterday. How much of yesterday Did you live in a manner worthy of the good news that you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and you paid nothing for it, Jesus paid it all? How much of your life was worthy yesterday? How much of it was done in in community and in unity with your other brothers and sisters? Did you move forward as one or were you out there doing your own thing and they're doing their own thing? It's the unity of the faith. that we And we stand fast. We stand firm in that unity. But, but to what end are we to stand fast? Why? Why? Why, why stand fast? Well, Paul's going to give it to us. Because that is the best posture for the second thing that's our job. And that is this. Number two, striving faithfully. And I put in there, in fellowship striving faithfully in fellowship. Again, verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs. And here's what I want to hear that you're doing. That you first of all stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Now notice this next phrase, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So stand firm, standing firm, Standing fast, and then striving faithfully. You're not just standing, you're striving. There's something to be accomplished. How many of you know the only reason you're still alive, listen to me, is because there's something that God still intends to accomplish in your life. And as soon as as that's done, you're out of here. Right? Right? God still got something for you to do. What are you doing about doing that thing? It's why you're here. And for some of you, it's going to take a lifetime. God didn't give you that ability to memorize and communicate and draw people in uh, and, and leadership for you. He did it for him. It's his purposes because your life belongs to him. Am I, am I being clear? We're to strive together. I can't get done. But Here's the thing, though. I can't get done what God's called me to do without Brian and I can't do it without David I can't do it alone he says striving what together I need you and you need me and together as one we take ground from the kingdom of darkness by the kingdom of light amen It's an interesting word. This word, striving, Um, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's synathleo is is the Greek word. I don't know if I put that on the screen or not. Synathleo. is there? I don't think I did. Did I, Lisa? It's not there. Um, And in that syn s y n like like Oh, I did. Synchronous swimming. S y n means together. And then it's that last part, athleo. Do you see athlete in athleo? That's where we get the word athletics from. A team. So athletically striving together. It's what it's what the team does. You ever been a part of a sports team? Where you have to work together? Um, sorry, Dave, what I'm about to say, but David's favorite team is the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, if you look at the Dallas Cowboys on paper, and you look at their roster, that that is a Super Bowl roster. But you know what the problem is, besides David's their fan? (laughs) Their real problem is not David. And it's not their roster. It's this. They have no sinethlel. They have no striving together. Every man on that team is a prima donna playing for himself. And you know what the result is? A very expensive disaster. They got a running back they paid a gazillion dollars to who moves the ball two feet at a time. That's fine if you're on a goal line stand. You're not going to eat up a bunch of yards with that if you're on a 30-yard line. They have spent so much money And they've been so creative, and they have got literally the best play For three years, I've watched that team. I said, there's no way they're not winning a Super Bowl this year. And they can never pull it off because they don't strive together. They're striving separately. You ever seen that? You ever witnessed that in your life? You ever witnessed that in sports? Um, And so if the Romans citizens there appreciated Paul's military reference of standing fast, then the Greeks in Philippi, and there were a bunch of them. They appreciated this athletic reference of striving together. That's something they could get their minds around, uh, being that they would enjoy the games, the Greek games in the Colosseum. Striving together. Reminds me of of my sons, Sam and Ben. Last year, Sam played football for a local Christian school. And the only reason I let him do it is because Sam runs or did at that time, run in very small circles. He had a very small group of friends, of which he was the most athletic and skilled of all of them. But it was like Sam against fifth graders. It wasn't a fair fight. And I wanted Sam to know that he wasn't the biggest bulldog in the pen. And so I said, yeah, you can go play football thinking he's going to find out what real life is like, right? He's going to get humbled. What I didn't bank on is that he was actually very athletic, and very good at uh, even playing football, having never played it before. However, the people on his team were just as good, if not better, and where he did get humbled was in practice, not necessarily on the field uh, when he actually played. So you found out what it was to get laid out by a guy that's about that tall, didn't you? Um, And and then (laughs) realize, how in the world did I get here, right? But now he has taught his poor brother Ben into joining him this year, Uh, which which I'm very fascinated to watch. And I I didn't think Ben was serious until recently. So I noticed that, first thing I noticed is that, well, here's what I noticed first. I came in one day, and Ben's always cooking. But Ben generally cooks for two people, and they're both Ben, because he eats enough for two people. (laughs) But I came in, and I noticed he had a, like a, a lot more food he was making. And I said, oh, are you making supper for the family? No, just for Sam. I said, what are you making supper for Sam for? He said, we have an agreement. He works me out. He teaches me how to work out, and I cook for him. <laughs> Sam got a good deal on that. because I'm going to tell you something, that young man, that Ben can cook. That boy, God made that young man with the ability to cook. So, so I noticed he's actually doing something for his brother in trade, I'm like, Ben's serious about this. And then I notice that all this baby fat that Ben's carried since he was a baby is vanishing and is being replaced with muscle. And then, no kidding, if I doubted Ben's commitment to this, the other day I hand him a Coke and he hands it back to me He says, no, I'm not, I'm swearing off sugar. I'm like, oh my word, he really is serious. (laughs) He is serious about this thing. And then I find out just yesterday uh, that Ben is now, when he started lifting weights with Sam, he could barely lift the bar with nothing on it. And now he's bench pressing his own weight. He, he bench pressed 185 pounds the other day. Now, he hasn't beat me yet. I, I lift 250 pounds every time I stand up, so I'm, I still got him beat. But but he's bench pressing his own And literally, I don't know what you started at. It was like 110, 115 pounds you could do. And now he's up to 185. Right. And we talked about that in our D group, didn't we? That's that's discipleship. Sam is discipling Ben in, in strength training. Right. Now, I need someone to disciple me in self-defense because uh, these guys are getting stronger than I am. <laughs> but when I say all that to say what? What what attracted Sam? Besides, I knew that he wanted to see what prove to himself what he was made of. And, Sam, tell me if I'm wrong. What was so attractive to you was bringing you back this year, even though you know they won the state championship last year and they went undefeated. that will I will eat my shirt if that happens this year. I mean, they graduated, I think, 10 or 11 seniors. The the whole starting team graduated out. I mean, they're going to be the bad news bears this year. And I'm like, Sam, you should just, like, quit while you're ahead. I mean, you you won the state championship. It's not happening this year. You guys are going to be on the tail end of things. Just don't do it. And he said, oh, no, I'm going back. You know why? It's camaraderie. That's a team. And I think that's what Ben's interested in. It's something that these guys are going to lock arms. And even if they get beat into the ground, they're going to get up for every single down. And as one, they're going after the goal. And young men, have a desire, a need to be in battle with other young men and against other young men and to know what that that striving together is. Some of us old men have forgotten that we need the same thing, that we need to be locking arms with these young men, striving together as one, so that we all live as better, more effective citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So what are we doing as kingdom citizens for each other? You know, those two guys are brothers in every sense of the word. And one of the things that has been a little disappointing for their mom and I is how they treat each other sometimes. And there's something about this football that Sam is actually treating Ben differently. He's actually encouraging Ben. Now, if you know Sam, you know he loves him some me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity of Sam Jettel. He loves Sam. And yet, he was telling me just the other day, I can't wait to the day that, he's, it's coming, Dad, it's coming. This year, Ben is going to be benching more than I can. And the fact that he would push Ben, his snot-nosed, frustrating little brother, past him and be excited about it, what has changed? They're in it together. They're striving together for a goal. They're on a team. Brothers and sisters, that should be us. That should be us. Striving together on a team for a purpose because here's the reality as kingdom citizens we're called to do that for each other and I want you to I want you to hear what I'm about to say we need to realize that we fight alongside other believers not against them you hear me we fight alongside each other not against each other and we're a group of fallen people amen we're going to mess up and we're going to make mistakes. But I swear, there's some people they're going to have something to complain about in heaven. No matter what you do, they're not happy. Don't be that person. I'm not your enemy. We're in this together. Decisions have to be made. They're not always popular. But man, we've got to be striving together for something greater. And that is to live as citizens of the kingdom. What are they striving for? Paul says it. they're the faith of the gospel, not a faith of a gospel. It's a very specific, the faith, a specific set of factual truths about King Jesus and the good news of what he came to do. It's a specific set of beliefs and a specific announcement of the good news about King Jesus or the Messiah. By the way, whenever you see the word Christ, we see it all the time, you need to to kind of replace it in your thinking and just read King Jesus. This word Messiah, and to the Jewish people, when they saw Messiah, they thought king. And we need to start thinking of Jesus more as our king than even our savior. Here's why. Because kings are meant to be obeyed. And so is Jesus. Amen? And by obeying Jesus together, we strive together. So this worthy citizen lives by standing fast in one spirit and mind, while striving faithfully in fellowship with other soldiers, citizens, for, for a set of beliefs about the good news of King Jesus. But Paul wants to remind them of the price they get to not have to pay. Notice what I said. Paul's going to remind them of the price they get to pay, not have to pay. It's a privilege to pay this price. And that's the last thing, and I, I will not spend a lot of time on here, But but not only standing fast, not only striving faithfully, but suffering fearlessly. Suffering fearlessly. Look what he says. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. So don't be afraid. You, You do this without fear. Just because you have adversaries, don't don't you fear. Don't you be afraid of them. That's a sign of of their coming judgment, and it's a sign of your current salvation, your current justification. Amen? When you have adversaries of the gospel, it's a sign of their coming judgment and your current justification. You should be thrilled over both of those things. Because if they don't obey the gospel, they're going to answer because of your life. Because they opposed you. But notice what he says, For to you, Philippians, it has been, underlining this in your Bible, this word, granted. You've been given a prize. Oh, what's my prize? It has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. I want you to notice two things here. Number one, I can't pass this without showing you this. It says, it has been granted, it has been given to you as a gift on behalf of Christ. So Christ gave you two gifts here. Now notice what the first gift is. Not only to believe in Him. And I'm just going to, I could preach a whole sermon, I'm not going to do it, but I want you to please see this. You did not believe on Jesus Christ because you came up with that thought yourself. If God gave you the ability to choose Jesus, listen to me, you wouldn't. Do y'all hear me? If God said, gave you the choice, your choice because you were dead in trespasses and sins was clear, you would never believe in Jesus. It had to be believed. Listen, that's what it said. Don't, don't you don't have to like it, just read it. It has been granted to you not only to believe in him, that was a gift was again he said man I, I i just really i just believe that jesus is the king and that he died for me and we rose again and he's he's sticking up for me it was father in heaven yeah and guess what god granted you that ability to believe anybody happy about that in here i am because i'll tell you what one one preacher said well if god hadn't hadn't chosen me i sure would have never chosen him so you, it's been given to us as a gift to believe but he also said and not only to believe but to suffer For his sake, the great Martin Luther, my favorite reformer, had one disappointment that he voiced on his deathbed. After all the junk that he went through, he had one disappointment. You know what it was? He was so frustrated and so sad and sorrowful on his deathbed, listen to this, that God did not allow him to die as a martyr the gospel and he he says to his wife I really thought God would let me die as a martyr and now I'm just going to die without being martyred and they said he died with tears flowing down his cheeks because he didn't get to suffer for Christ God give us more people like Martin Amen don't be afraid of that suffering do it fearlessly fearlessly Because they can't touch you. This is so applicable to all of us today. And this may have been written to the saints at Philippi, but I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, it was surely written for the saints at Wildwood. It was written for me and you. So let me conclude with this concluding statement that I wrote. It says this, We must be those kingdom citizens who live as an outpost of heaven, by standing fast in the Holy Spirit, who weaves our lives together as one, and when one of us is weak, the rest of us pulls them up and holds them fast so that we can strive together in faithful fellowship as soldier citizens for the facts of the Christian faith, codified, in the good news about King Jesus. And we are also willing and even eager to suffer for those facts and our king, and we count it an honor to do so. So here's the question. Does that sound like you? Does that sound like us? Anybody here excited about suffering for Jesus? Should be. Are you locking arms with your neighbor? In this fellowship, I'm only talking to us. Are you disgruntled? You can't be disgruntled and strive together for the gospel at the same time. We've got to get over ourselves, lock arms with our neighbor and move as one. Stand fast. Strive together. Suffer fearlessly. You know, occasionally some of you will tell me or text me uh, a thank you for a sermon. And and I will tell you, I I really appreciate when that happens. One, One person particularly does this fairly regularly. But at the end of the day, your appreciation for my ministry displays itself in your application of that truth to your everyday life. You want to say thank you? Go live it. If you want to thank the preacher for his sermon, then go do what he said. So, what's that going to look like for you this week? What's it going to look like for you to do the book as you've heard declared today? For some of you? I don't know. I don't know what that is. I'm going to leave that up to the Holy Spirit. But I can tell you this being sideways with each other, being sideways with your pastor and your leadership in the church, that's not getting the job done. God put people where he put them for the reasons he put them there. And you need leaders. You need that person next to you that frustrates you. And yes, you need to lock arms for those frustrating people. Because listen to me, brothers and sisters, it's not about you. It's about the kingdom. We're citizens. We need to live worthy of our calling. And that must impact every decision of every day. Amen? I'm going to invite our musicians to come, and I'm going to invite you to stand as we pray together. And as we pray, I want you to pray. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what should I do? What do you want me to do with this message? What, where do I need to adjust my life? Am I, am I conducting myself my, worthy of my citizenship in your kingdom through the gospel? Whatever needs to change, ask God to help you to change just that. Father, we love you. Thank you for your, your, your beautiful word that, that we're, we're ingesting. It's what we talked about in D-Groups. We're intaking your word. How beautiful a thing it really is. May it find fertile soil in our hearts. And may we adjust our life so that we are walking worthy of our citizenship. Granted by the gospel. May we move as one, one spirit, one soul, for one king. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.